Um, I'm going to go ahead. I, I think it's it's a it, it'd be beneficial to us this morning to read through the whole text. And so I'm going to read through the text, 41 to 51 of John John 6, this um, first thing. And I'm going to kind of pause just a moment to show you the five um, sort of transitions that we'll kind of unpack um, so that you'll you'll have your expectations um, before you. Um, so kind of this one, um, as you look at 41 and you look at 52 in your text of John, you have a, a simple phrase. And, and this kind of separates where we're at um, today and where we'll start next week. But um, but we've had the 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 feeding of the five thousand. We had the walking on the water, and then we had a real sort of intense situation where they're seeking Jesus. Um, and so you know, one of the things as Christians and 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 in, in our our church life is we want to seek God. We want to encourage other people to seek God. And so here we see this sort of real passionate seeking of God going on, and Jesus just calls them out and says their motives are wrong. And um, in that modus wrong, they begin to ask a few questions there. What work should we do? And um, and then um, they 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 ask uh, what was the other one? The, I think the bread. But um, but they ask a few questions, and then he kind of finishes with um, a bold statement that if you if you eat of this, you should have eternal life, and I'll ri rise you up on the last day. Um, so he. This we, we had said that conversation was a lot like the Samaritan woman conversation. Um, and and even with the disciples, even with Nicodemus. Um, and so I think those things are important um to remember because it just keeps coming back up. But let's read through this text here. Um, it says in 41, it says, So the Jews um grumbled. And what I meant to say is in 52, it says the Jews disputed. So you see um, these three sort of teaching sections where it's sort of escalating into more disgruntledness in a sense. Um, at, at first, they're like, hey, we love you. We're seeking you. And by the time we get to verse 66, they're going away and saying this teaching is too hard. And so th that's one of the things that we're, we're doing is we're looking at we're at the second part of the escalation um, and so, so the Jews grumbled about him. And I think the first question is, why are they grumbling? And it begins to explain that here. So 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And I tried to look at that. Um, I believe it's in verse 33. If you, if you look up just a little bit, it says for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Um, so there's a couple things going on, but this is the particular thing that they're struggling with at this moment in time, what they're focusing on. And he says in 42, they said, it's not this, they, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he not now say, I have come down from heaven. So here's a, you know, we've seen this before. We've seen Nicodemus. How can I be born again? We see the Samaritan woman. Where are you going to get this, this water? We see the disciples who brought him food to eat. And then we see the same thing again. It's just a logical, um, earthly thinking kind of like we saw Jesus walking with his mom and dad. 
You know, how, how in the world is he saying? And one of the thoughts they're going to bring in is they'll they'll at some point say, um, no one will know where the where the Christ comes. So so they're really just wrestling. Like there's certain things that he might be the prophet, he might be the Christ, the Christ, but we know who his parents are. So that's that's the first thing. And then in 43 would be the second part. Um and that one is just knowing. Um, I, I guess the idea is, do we know what we know? You know, uh, we think sometimes we know something and then we find out in another situation we don't know. It. So we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. But in 43, um, we get to, get to we'll get to kind of focusing in on the grumbling. And I want to pair that with waiting um, when we're impatient, when we when we can't wait on something, we grumble. And so in 43, it says, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So this is the second point. And he kind of moves on at this point with something else. But we can pull something from that. But he's at least directing them. Your attitudes are in the wrong place. You're grumbling, like slow your roll a second. You're getting frustrated, you know, and realize God is sovereign. He's awesome. And and when he does something in you, you're going to get it, you know, but be patient, wait. Um, and then, um, and then in 45 is the third point, which is, um, I put on the outline, God teaches, but the idea of teaching and, um, and this is a pretty important element to, to kind of like fundamentally get in you and see it in different texts, texts, because it speaks a lot to the, the 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 new covenant and what it is and what our our hope and promises are in the new covenant. But it also speaks a lot to as we're looking at these audiences and we see people getting it and people not getting it. It comes down to this 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 thought right here. Um, it says it is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. And so you'll see this, um, you know, at different parts of John where, he, you know, like I think in, at the end of five, he said, if you really knew what Moses was, um, you, you, if you understood what Moses was writing, you would understand me because he wrote about me. And these kind of ideas you see tucked away at different points in the, in the book of John. But but also, and, and we'll look at that in a minute, but also the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34 that's revisited in the book of Hebrews uh, speaks to the fact that, that we won't have to teach each other because the Holy Spirit living in us will teach us. And so realistically, we have no hope. If, if the Holy Spirit is not in us, illuminating the truth to us, we have no hope of getting, getting it right. Um, we, we need God to teach us. Um, and then 46 um, is the fourth point where it says, not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God, he has seen the father. Um, and so I just put this one as the unseen scenes messenger. So throughout scripture from front to back, we say that no one has seen God, but, but Hebrews, I think I hit the text there, Hebrews one, um, one and two, it says, but his son has revealed him that he was the, the, the pretty much the exact image, image of him. Um, I want to say it's in John 14, 15, but it's, it's where, um, 
you know, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them, he says, you've seen me all this time. Why do you ask to see the father? If you've seen me, you've, you've seen him. And so every prophet, you know, we see Jesus as the fulfillment and uh, of everything, but every prophet, their role was to make God known in some way. While those ways were somewhat partial, they were making the unseen God known to a people um, in what they were doing. So this theme is there. And then the, and then the last um, um, is the, the last little sort of paragraph really hits on the one I titled kind of eternal life, but it's associated with uh, the bread. And th this is one of the things that I'd like us to do this morning is, is um, Hebrews talks about how like how there in the Old Testament, there was a sort of a shadow, but then in the New Testament, there's a fulfillment and a completion of the promises of God. So there's promise and fulfillment or type or anti-type and this kind of thing. But what I want us to see as we finish up the, the last part of John 6 is I want us to, to go back and connect the dots between the feeding of the bread um, and the Passover in the book of Exodus and the meaning of what's happening here in John 6, that he is feeding them miraculous bread. And, and John 4, or in the book of John, John 4, he's talking about miraculous water. So in Exodus 17, they had uh, the, the water coming from the rock. Um, and then the Passover, um, that's what Christ is fixing to be. All, all of that, he's going to be the atonement. He's going to be the Passover. So he's bringing um, Exodus ideas or old co covenant concepts. And he's, he's, you know, just as in the Lord's Supper, he, um, he inaugurated the new covenant and he said, this is my bread and this is my, my cup. He's doing that in this, this preaching in the same way too, in a, in a, in a different way. He's, he's feeling, he's making, he's putting meaning to it. He's, he's, he's um, filling in some of the blanks and, you know, and, and that's, what's interesting about this audience that challenges us is these, these struggles that they're, um, they're, um, they're wrestling with is they're like, how can this be? And there's these these um, blanks that need to be filled in. And that's what he's actually doing. Um, the, the guy last night at the deal, he, he said, many of you have heard the Christmas story. So um, but but I'm not asking you to hear it again. I'm asking you to listen. What does the Christmas story really say? And so that's sort of the idea here is Jesus is bringing them. You've heard about the Passover. You've, you've heard about these the, the, the bread and the manna. But what does that mean? Take a second, dive deeper. And what is the fullness of the meaning of that? And because if you don't understand the foundation or in their case, if they don't understand the foundation, they can't realize that right before their eyes, God is fulfilling the greater meaning of those things. He is the fulfillment of the promise that he made in the old. So reading this last little bit, we'll start unpacking is, um, he says in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And, and I think that is one of the Bible unique words. Um, I think it's worth pausing that it's not so there's life and there's eternal life. And, and, and I, I think about that, that part where it says, um, don't worry about, um, how, how I'm, I can't, I'm trying to get it to quote it, but it, it's, um, don't worry about this life, but the one that can destroy your soul in, in, in heaven. I, I know I butchered that, but, but this idea here between life and eternal life, we can get so fixated, worried about this life, 
that we don't consider eternal life. And that's what Jesus is, is separating here. When they're seeking him eagerly over the bread, that's life because we need to eat every day. But he's saying, don't work for food that perishes, but, but work for a different type of food. And it's the type of food that brings us into eternal life. So he says, whoever believes has eternal life. In verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. I think this is just a key free phrase that's worth us it penetrating us is that when we're talking about eternal life, life versus eternal life, he's, he's bringing attention to, cause, cause they, at this point, they're like, what sign are you going to show us? You know? And they're, they're, they're saying, well, Moses gave us manna in the, and, and he's saying, yeah, really he's saying in so many words, I'm about to give you a better bread. I've already given you a pretty awesome bread, but I'm about to give you a better bread. And he's pointing out why this bread is better because he says, this is the bread um, or that your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. So the, the Exodus bread, um, the Moses bread in the wilderness and they died. So it had, you know, that particular bread had no value in eternal life. It only had value in physical life. And then it said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no, one may eat of it and not die. So this is a profound thing. I mean, if someone today was like, if you do this, you're not ever going to die. I mean, this is a bold proclamation that he's making there that would make any audience struggle. And in 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, here is a transition piece. This doesn't really work so much with what we're talking about this week, but it is the reason that the next sign said the Jews disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So next week, what I was going to encourage you, I hope some of you read Exodus 16, but next week, I encourage you to read Exodus 12, which is the text on the Passover, and it, it helps make this eat of the flesh more sense because that language was in, in the Passover instructions. And so um, sometimes we're just reading, you know, we're just reading six or maybe we're reading six too fast, but in a slow dive through six and going back and looking at Exodus 12 and Exodus 16 and even Exodus 17, we start to get a better picture because the, the language is the same um, in that way. So that's 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 the idea there. Let, let me come back up to 41. Does anybody have any just, just big picture initial thoughts that they want to jump in before we kind of dissect the individuals? Here, no one, one, two, three. All right, so the first one, um, let's see, um, let me get up here back. Is 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 this idea knowing? Um, I, in my notes, I put they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who father and mother we know? Now, I don't want to dive in that too much, um, this morning, but as we finish up. The next chapter seven, and we get to Nicodemus um, saying, do we judge a man and, and that them trying to arrest him? This was going to come back up. And I'm going to I'm going to spend some time 
connecting the dots of that of um of some pretty cool things but but in the ba- basic idea we know some of this already you know what what are your thoughts there here's an audience you know what do you do with that when someone someone is struggling at that level you know when you're trying to witness to someone and and they've got a logical fact um there um any thoughts on that or how to you know just anything that pops up to you i i titled this section knowing and i'll i'll, I'll while you're thinking I'll, I'll say this one thing is so i've i've been studying a lot more and being more organized with my notes and with um you can get this for, I think for free, but it's faith, faith life, um, Bible study app on your phone or something. If you, if you're, um, iPhone or whatever, but I've learned how to use it on my iPad where I have a half a page of scripture and a half a page is notes. And what I like about it is as I put my notes side by side is any, um, verse that you put in, um, it puts a hyperlink in it and it creates a situation that every time you hit that little link, it goes to the those passages. So it's probably the smoothest way of putting a variety of passages together and quickly moving back and forth to them and having them before you than anything I've I've ever seen. So I've I've enjoyed that. But what I wanted to say about this is as I've been studying more that way and really going to the text and trying to see that, see, see what's saying, what it's saying. Um, it reminds me, if y'all remember, I'm sure everybody did this in science in, in school, uh, the scientific method. Is everybody familiar with the scientific method? Uh, where there was about five stages of it, but the one of the first stages was you had to come up, I think it called it a, a, a hypothesis or something, but you had you had to kind of lay out the framework. This is what I want to know. Will this happen if I do this? And then you had to you had to kind of guess at it. You know, yes, this will happen or, or no, this won't happen. But what was interesting about the scientific method is that a lot of times when we made our hypothesis, we thought we were going to be right. I mean, how could we not be? You know, we had a lot of confidence in our hypothesis. But when you would go through the process and go through the data at the end result, you had to give a conclusion on what your data stated. And a lot of times we had to, we had to swallow our pride and we had to say, you know, hey, I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. I wasn't 100% right. And so what I found in my study, and I'm talking about knowing here, what I found as I've got um, into more hungry, hungry and, 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 and diving in scripture more and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and that activity and doing that work, I find that thoughts that I, I picked up from pastors or from church life or from my family or whatever, um, that some of those things don't hold weight as well as they used to as you look to scripture. And my point of this is that this is a hypothesis. You know, at this point, when they're when the question of do you know where Jesus come from, this is their hypothesis. Sure, I know where he came from. He came from Joseph and Mary. He's there with us. We've seen him hanging out with them. But if they went back and they looked at all the prophecy, which we will do, and we and they knew all the details, 
they would find out under the scientific method that they didn't know what they thought they knew. And, and it's been my joy studying over the last month or two, and, and really this book, John, has really stimulated that, is coming to a point where certain things that I thought I knew, that when I really look at what scripture has to say about it, it's not true. And you have to be a person that's willing to, to, to not be hard-headed and, and not be, you, you have to have some flexibility to it. So when I think about witnessing to these people or anyone like that in our day, is, um, you know, I think of terms like lighten up, loosen up a little bit. Like, why do you think that that you're so right about this? Do the scientific experiment. Quit holding on to your hypothesis. You know, um, so does that make any sense? Um, Shane? <laughs> or Jeff, you there? Oh. Yeah, I just uh, I think what I'm hearing you saying is just have an open mind to some of this. Uh, and sometimes we have preconceived notions about how things were or how we know them. And it's hard to accept change. But, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But but I've stimulated a lot of things that I thought I knew. And I mean, that's a good place. It's, it's easy to be humble when you're when you're when you're constantly learning and realizing, hey, you know, everything that I, you know, you just start to have religious things that are not in step with the word of God. And, and when you start diving in and seeing things. And so I, I feel like the book of John really challenges you to do that. Um, one of the things I thought about this week is that what John does a lot is he leaves a tremendous amount of what I would call breadcrumbs. Um, you know, if, if someone was leaving breadcrumbs to help you, you, you um, find them, you would you would be navigating. You're like, oh, there's a breadcrumb. Only so and so would have left that breadcrumb, you know. And and so they must have been here, you know. And and you begin to investigate, you know. And 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 so there's a lot of things that are really um, when you pull all the breadcrumbs together, they really speak so loud and clear about something so valuable and important in the book of John. But it is written in that way. When you take a paragraph um, of John's text he'll go in a couple different directions. And that's not what we see in traditional books that we, you know, I always say like the Bible wasn't written where it talks about justification in this chapter. And then the next chapter is sanctification. And the next chapter is glorification. It doesn't do that. It does it more in a breadcrumb type thing. So if you're really going to be um, knowledgeable and accurate about justification or sanctification or glorification, just using those examples, forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, any of those things, um, you have to find the breadcrumb trails to really understand what 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 God is, is saying about those things. And sometimes what we can do is get part of the breadcrumb trail and cr create a conclusion and not have the full breadcrumb trail. So um, sometimes when we're, when we have the privilege to do Bible study together and we're talking about a topic, um, God uses other others of us to say, Hey, well, I found this breadcrumb related to forgiveness or reconciliation and justification. And you begin to complete your picture so that you have a, a more full understanding. So us being humble um, and, and, and flexible is going to make all the difference in the world and us truly knowing the truth and not just thinking we know the truth. Um, so if uh, any jump in points on that or we'll move to, to grumbling. 
I think this was a short statement. Um, we'll get a chance to dive into this a little bit more. Um, but 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 it's just verse 43 and 44. Jesus answered, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. I don't fully know why he throws in. I'll raise him up on the last day. It makes some sense to me, but he does it a couple of times. I've highlighted it in gray, which means that's there and he keeps doing it and it's kind of important, but I don't quite understand it yet. So, um, you know, if y'all have some insight on that, but notice that it, that it's there and he does it quite a few times, um, through the, through chapter six. Um, but, but one verse that stuck out to me about this, this section was, um, let me see here. 43 was this one, um, in parallel it back to the Exodus text in Exodus um, 16, um, I'll, I'll jump to it real quick. In Exodus 16, 2, it says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And so this is that, that connecting of the old and the new that they're, they were grumbling with Moses. Now they're grumbling with Jesus. Um, and then he goes on to that patterns picking up in verse um, seven, he says, um, he says, well, I think I get it right. Seven, seven. Yeah. And seven, it says, and in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord for we are, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, full. Um, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we, you, your grumbling is a not against us, but the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know I am the Lord your God. Now I want you to, I'm going to ask you this second, we just came off of knowing, so so a lot of these, 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 these dialogues, they're like, we know this, and that this can't line up, and there's this, this stumbling between what Jesus is saying and doing. But, but if they would have had, like, you know, we got the little Psalms and Proverbs Bibles, a little, what is it Psalms in the New Testament, but those little Bibles, if they'd had their little Bible of Exodus 16, and they would have read that section, and they would have been familiar, and, and maybe they had sections highlighted in there that said, you know, our fathers grumbled like crazy, and, and this whole wilderness experience is, is at other places called testing, when he tested them in the wilderness, <clears throat> I'm trying to see where where this text was that I was looking for, but there's um let me see it's one of the Old Testaments, but I want you hmm, let's see it I'll find it here in a minute. But what it says it's 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 an Old Testament prophecy, but it 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 it's let's see I know it's Isaiah I think it's I think it's this one Isaiah fifty four thirteen maybe let me see. Okay, I'm not seeing it. I'll find it here in a minute. But it, but what it says is it says 
that that wait, you know, it talks about waiting on the Lord. And um, like I said, I thought it was right here. But what 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 stuck to me when I was studying is that this this ability for us not to wait on. um, Let's see. Wait on the Lord is is impatience and it causes us to grumble. How much longer do I have to wait? And and so if they were if they were looking like we know our fathers made some mistakes, what were those mistakes? And they were saying we're we're going to be different. We're not going to make these same mistakes. Then then this idea should have come to surface when Jesus was was talking to them. Um, any thoughts? I mean, I just think he says, you know, in four forty four, he says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him." And then jumping ahead of today's text, probably next week's, he repeats that and says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And then he asked his own disciples, to, you know, the 12, and a few that were with them, you know, are, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave as well? And that's when Peter answered. And, and I'm sure the, the disciples probably had a look on their place, face like they were struggling a little bit with this as well. Yeah. But since they were called by the, by the Lord, by God, and there was a conviction on them, they were drawn. He says, well, Lord, to whom, whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, Peter probably didn't really fully understand what Jesus was trying to say, but he believed and was called and, and believed that Jesus was the son of God. So he knew that whatever he was saying, however it works out, was right. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, having an open mind but you know it, it, it it's still like we're we still try to take too much uh of the credit on ourselves and it and it basically is going to come down to no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and then from isaiah 54 they will all be taught by god yeah and so in, in, in transition, what you're saying, as, as if you move in, as, let's see what 45 says, it is written in the prophets and that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. So I think that's a, that's a key element, you know, as, as part of what you're saying in 44 and um, that no one comes unless he's wrong. Well, how, if you ask that question, I'm trying to make sure I get no one comes to me unless the father who sent me is drawing. Well, how, how does he draw him? And this, if you, if you connect that with this next, um, and they will be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. So, you know, this, this idea, um, you know, are, you know, how do you know you're being taught by God? I mean, like, like what, what would your personal testimony? I mean, we, 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 in church, we talk about God showed me this or God showed me that. Well, how, how does he do that? You know, we have to have the Holy, we have to be born again, which means the Holy spirit dwells within us. And then, you know, Jesus says all that dialogue about it's good for you that I go away, that, that, that the father will send the Holy spirit and he'll be in you and he'll lead you and guide you. So how can you be taught if you don't have that interaction you know, with, with the Holy spirit. So, so, you know, in that, that question, how does in, let's see, 44, 
how does what would your idea be? How would you explain to someone um, that no one can come to the Father unless um, let's I'm trying to say it. no one could come to me unless the Father who sent me draw? How would you explain that that text? What would your thoughts be? Well, I think I, I just think that there's a, a a nagging and a conviction that comes on people uh, before they're saved. I mean, you know, it's like I said, we we don't do it on purpose, but we try to um, take too much credit for what the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, and you've seen that in your life when you when you talk about, you know, you try to evangelize and talk about the Lord. And some people, it's just like it goes in one ear and out the other. And then some just totally reject it, don't even want to hear it at all. And there's some that immediately want to hear it. And there's some you can tell that, that something's starting to work on their heart where they may not want to hear it that day, but you can kind of tell that they're going to be thinking about this. And so I think the Holy Spirit is just pricking people's hearts and, and um, starting subtly in, in different people to work on them to make them desire to know more or to convict them of the sin that they are going through that know that, hey, man, we, we something's got to change. This, this is more to life than this and something's not right. But there's other people in the world that you encounter that just just could care less. Um, so like the idea you don't know you don't know for sure who those people are going to be. That's why you know our role has always been just to to share the good news. Our role has never really been, even though I enjoy apologetics to a sense, and and I think God uses some of the apologetics things with us on people that He's already starting to prick their conscience and convict them. Um, and that kind of is our part maybe to, to help the Holy Spirit work on him to go to the next, to go to an, an, the next step. But it really ultimately still comes down to no one comes to me unless the father sent draws him or convicts him or put something in his thought process that there's more to life than what, what I'm seeing here. And so he's here. We are beginning to, to search. And some people it happens a lot faster um in, in a stronger way than others but so like so when you hear someone say you know like i've been running from god i mean what's going on there i mean jonah was running from god but i mean is that, is <laughs> he was that god, the but is that god drawing them you know or they say um I just was so convicted when I did that. Is that God drawing and teaching them directly? Well, I, I, I personally think if somebody's running from God, then the Holy Spirit is beginning to prick their heart. They just may not have reached the point where, and it's different in different individuals, but there's something going on in them and a part of them are still so caught up in the world that they're, they know something's happening. They're, they're feeling something, but they're still not possibly ready to um, give in to that, the feeling that the Holy Spirit's starting to convict and draw on them. And that's but, why it's different in different people. But if you if you look back, you know, from, from your position, would you say that when God is convicting someone, and even if someone is running, wouldn't you say that's loving and gracious from God because he's he's pointing out that what they're doing is wrong and they know, like, yes? 
Yeah, Dennis, I would I would say that that is that is loving. Um, it's it, if somebody has a seared conscience and callous, and they don't. I mean, you can you know use scripture, and it doesn't convict them at all. They're spiritually dead. They, there's nothing, and there's nothing that you can do to convince them to change. It really is a, a work of God, and like what Paul was saying, you know, it's not our role to know who God is going to draw and who He's not. We're just it reminds me of the parable, you know, we're commanded to go and scatter the seed. We're commanded to go and preach the good news. And it's the, and it's the spirit is the one that's going to give growth, give spiritual light. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it is a one way work of God. Um, I, I just remember my own experience. There was, there was times when I would hear the word of God and it didn't phase me one way or the other. I'm just, I was just going to live how I wanted to live. And it, it was like, it, it, it didn't, I didn't even give it a second thought. And I, I remember the season when God was drawing me that there were, there were big questions that I had and, and I had an interest in knowing truth. And when I would hear truth, it resonated. And when I would hear things that I was doing wrong in my life, that conviction weighed heavily on me and it became a big burden. And so it's, I, I just know that it's, um, did the one, the, did the people who shared the word of God with me earlier when I had a seared conscience and completely callous, were they just doing it wrong? No, I think they were sharing the same word of God with me is the people who were whenever I ultimately led to my salvation. It was really the difference was the spirit of God working in my life. That's good. I know we cut you off a little earlier. You got something you want to jump in? Well, I just wanted to say that, uh, again, that's why when I talk to somebody that they say, why are you, talk, why are you telling me these things? I, I'd say God is going to make himself known to you sometime. But actually, somebody says to me, I'm running from God. I say, oh, right. You mean you believe in God? And I <laughs> use that use that opportunity to say, well, stop running. And then I give them reasons, reasons to stop running. But if you if you don't believe at all, God hasn't touched your heart yet. And I'm, I say to everybody in a very positive way, God will touch your heart. I just want you to open your eyes and feel it and see it when it happens for you. Yeah. Um, we don't know who God's going to be able to touch and not be able to. That's the wrong way to put it. Who's God, who, God, who is going to respond to God's touch and who isn't? But um, fear of God is actually a good way to get started. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What do you think, Shane or Mike? I got any thoughts? Yeah, I was just thinking back to this story. I'm not sure I can fully articulate in my mind and with my mouth what's going on in my mind. But, you know, these people had a knowledge of who Christ was because they seen him before. Right. They physically knew who he was. They knew his parents. They could say, you know, logically speaking, they could they could define how they knew him. And when he claimed to be something above and beyond that, they they grumbled or they complained um and i guess you know i try to i try to put that in the into our day and time right i think we we encounter a lot of people that know jesus too in a sense that whether it's um baby jesus whether it's 12 year old jesus whether it's um the one who tumped over the tables in the Temple Jesus, everybody has a certain understanding of who they think Jesus is based on their upbringing. 
And sometimes you have to, you have to untangle that web and not that that's up to us to do, but, um, but when it says they will be taught by God, I believe that that is God beginning to remove the blinders from the eyes of those that can't see. I mean, by default, we're all blind of the gospel message. And unless the spirit begins to draw us, begins to unveil our eyes, we can't see that, you know? So when, when it says they will be taught by God, I can't help but think, you know, of my situation of where I was when I was 21 years old, you know, and I tell people that I didn't hear the gospel till I was 21 and that, and they will argue me down and say, there's no way that you live in the United States of America and didn't hear the gospel till you were 21 years old. And I said, I might've heard it, but I didn't hear it. And, you know, when the scripture says he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says, that's a game changer, right? It's taken, um, something, if you want to call it physical words, and converting that to spiritual words so that your spirit can hear that, you know, and that's when I believe those blinders are being removed, your heart is being unveiled, your ears begin to hear a truth, and and we don't, we don't have the magic glasses to see who, who is experiencing that in in the lives of those around us, um, we can see some results, you know, kind of like when Jesus told Nicodemus, said, you can't see the wind, but you can see the results of the wind, right? And so it is with the spirit, you know, we, we, may, we may encounter someone, and we've had some of those experiences in our life, right? You start talking to someone, and whether it's a tear in their eye, a, a light in their eyes, that they almost as though you're telling them something that they've never heard before, and it is it is so refreshing to see that, um, but but that is a work of only God can get credit for, right? I, I used to tell the story, you know, someone can say Mary had a little lamb, his fleece was white as snow, and they begin to start crying and go, I can't believe that Jesus came through a Virgin Mary like that, you know, because it's not our words; it's what God is convicting them of and unveiling their eyes. Amen. What you think, Shane? I don't have anything. It was all uh, good stuff so far. Well, um, I think the last two things here. I mean, that, that was that was good. How that you know those two here uh, flow together, forty four and forty five. But um, the the last two things, um, you know, I I don't know. I can do justice in the time here. But I think it's an interesting breadcrumb to put in your knower. And, and, and the best way I could frame that, the unseen's messenger. Um, again and again, the Bible says that, that, that we, we haven't seen God, that no one's seen God. And, and these kind of ideas. Is this a bread of life crumb? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but the thing about this, um, the way Christ is making the way the Bible, way Christ, way the the the, the prophets of old, the apostles, Christians of of the, of of the cloud of witness, the way they are making God known is amazing. And back to some of the great thoughts that Mike just said about about the um, like he talked about the hearing, he heard the gospel, but he didn't really hear it. And Matthew 13 and the parable of souls and stuff like that, it addresses about seeing, but not seeing. Um, 
you know, and, and, and this moving from physical to spiritual or, or the way it was said in, in John three earth, um, he told Nicodemus, he said, if I speak to you in earthly terms, you don't understand. How can you understand if I speak to you in heavenly terms? And, and so I think I want to finish up, um, you know, a few thoughts I, I, I wrote with this one unseen is in John 7, 29, it says, I know him for I come from him and he sent me. And um, then elsewhere, it says, he who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Um, going back to the first point, we said knowing. When we take know, you know, usually you the Bible, when it uses the word know, you can categorize, categorize it in three sort of areas or levels. And I always like to say it like this. The first know is a child know. If, if like this morning, if it rained at your house, like it rained here, you could, you could take your child, a young child and say, is it raining outside or is it daytime or is it night? And, <laughs> and there's like childlike knowledge, but I work with the phone company. Shane works as a firefighter. You know, Paul's a pharmacist. Jeff's a brilliant scientist and, and Mike is an engineer, you know, guru or whatever, but all of us have learned things in our career that's a language that other people like us in that profession knows. And so we have that more sophisticated knowledge. But both of those knowledges are earthly knowledge. And for heavenly knowledge and that intimate relationship that probably the, the greatest glimpse we have in this life is something like with a spouse or with a child. But greater than the intimacy we have with a, a spouse or a child is the, is the intimacy we have with God. So this is captured when it says in the beginning, when it says Adam knew his wife, that was, that's a polite, respectful way of talking about intimacy. It's, it's, and of the highest level of intimacy. And, um, and I've been going through a course, uh, kind of a self-help course, personal development course um, with people skills. And one of the things that it talks about is that a lot of people that are creepy, they dive in too deep real quick. Um, and so they're trying to get to that third level of in intimacy without working through that first and second level of, of knowledge. Um, and, and those first two levels, it's just fun. And hey, I might want to have a relationship with you. It's the introduction. It's that childlike no knowing. But then you find some commonalities and you develop trust that, hey, I'm not a flaky person. You can trust me. And then God just does something cool. He takes you to that third level and you'll find a relationship with him or with others in the family of God that you never thought was possible. Um, but but you have to, to, to work through that, that process. And I did find that verse. I will just tell you, I, I, I would ask you to write this one down because for whatever reason, it, it just seems to me, important you know so that's all i can tell you but it's 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 isaiah 64 4 and it says from of old no one has heard or perceived which is what mike was talking about by the ear no eye has seen a god beside besides you who acts for those who wait on him like for some reason that just gives me chills. I mean, if if we just shut down today, I want you to hear that no eye or ear has heard about a God that acts 
for those who wait on him. And the question this morning, what does your waiter look like? How, how willing are you to wait on God to provide? You know, Mike used to say, he said, in times of crisis, you either run to God or run from God. What we see in the rebellion in the wilderness in the Exodus experience is a group of people that ran from God in the time of testing. And, and we should learn from them. And, 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 and if they were looking at those people in the right way in this text, and they and, and like if you go back to Hebrews on um, chapter three and chapter four, and it talks about these people, um, he says, learn from them. I mean, that's the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't make the same mistakes they did. In your time of testing, don't run from God, run to him. And if you don't know how to run to him, wait, because he will give you instructions of how to run to him. Um, I don't know if Paul's fixing to jump off, but um, I, I just I want to finish with this last little deal about um, about eternal life. I'm trying to think of what um, I was thinking. Um, any thoughts for for I jump into that? Just one real quick. Whenever from now on, whenever I hear somebody use the word "wait," I want to uh, I learned from uh, Tony Evans. Uh, I think it was Tony. I learned from somebody that you know when the, when the Hebrews when we use the word "wait" in the Bible, it's like using a vague word like, like "love." People don't understand, but "wait" by the he the Hebrew word that was used in "wait on God." Uh, I don't know the exact, you know, and Isaiah gets to wait to wait on God. It is to to uh, weave or to uh, uh, to uh, um, it was weave or braid. In other words, uh, make yourself weave your weave your soul and your mind and your heart with God's for the strength. Because if you try to work on your own, um, you'll be weak, like a like a single thread. But if you work with God, He will strengthen you, and uh, you'll be like a strong rope instead of a a stra uh, Straggling, free-flowing fish. That's a whole different meaning to that word. Well, so, um, wait, waiting would not be an idle period, is what you're saying. Not idle. No, it's an active, active process yeah. of getting closer to God. People are running from God. So if you get closer to God, you won't run from Him because you know you'll know how loving He is. You know, for sure. But you got to get to knowing. Yeah, I like the way said that that it's not how did you say it waiting is not a i how did you what did you say i don't i don't think but yeah it's a ideally and not other idol and i think that's i think that's where the the doctrine of works makes it back into your theology is because you 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 can't wrap your mind around sometimes that waiting is not always just passive that waiting can be an active work. Um, you know, when we say you must die to yourself and pick up your cross, well, how do you do that? Sometimes the nails that nails you to the cross is waiting. You know, sometimes, you know, you choosing not to do nothing and wait on the Lord 
is a very active thing. It may not to the world look like you're doing anything, but in the spiritual realm, you're moving mountains, you know, and, um, and that was the thing. I just want to finish with the key word, eternal life. Who, who uses that word? Does people of the world use eternal life? I mean, I don't think people of the world, all the people in the world's minds are wrapped around this life. And so to have eternal life, it speaks of something beyond this, this life. And it's a, it's a, it's a biblical concept. Um, and it's a spiritual concept, but I just wanted to go back to, to verse 27. You know, so much of our church life is encourage people to come to Jesus, encourage people to come to Jesus. And we see in the verse before, or the verses before 27, so many people coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, your motives are wrong. But he says a specific thing. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. You know, sometimes we just as believers need to be reminded of this and hear this again, that when we go to church this morning, when we choose to have a personal devotion, when we choose to sit down in prayer and look up to heaven and say, Lord, I need your help. In some degree or another, we're choosing to realize that there's more to life than just this life, that there's more to life to just working for food that perishes. And we are taking a part of our, our, our being and our time and our, our resources to work for a food that endures to eternal life. When we witness, we're witnessing because we're saying we've at some point or to some degree have come to a realization that, that there's more to life than just this life. And, and, and we say that this is, you know, with Jesus, we'll say it in different ways, but we'll say something like with Jesus, the choice you make with Jesus is the most important choice you'll ever make. And it's because of all this that he says, all these breadcrumbs he gives us in John six is it, but it, but it, it's pointing to eternal life. And that, that, that when we die, that this is not the end, that, that we're going to live eternally one way or another. And so if all we ever do is live in this life, all we ever do is um, think about what this life has for us. And we never think of the life to come and we never we never address how to find eternal life, then, then everything we do is, is vanity, you know? Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I like that word. He, he uses it quite a, a, quite a good bit, you know, here, here in the book of John and even in this chapter, but um, I, I'll stop with that. We got two minutes. Any final thoughts? Jeff, you still there? Are you getting out? Final thoughts, Shane. Well, the one thing I just got today, I love what Mr. Wayne and Mike was talking about, just waiting and, and it's not idle. I think sometimes we as Christians, I know speaking for myself, when you hear wait, you sit back and wait for God to do something, but there's active worship on our end and active seeking on our end that needs to be done. And man, I was just thinking when you were talking about that, how, um, yeah, I just, uh, there's things now I need to, instead of just waiting on God, I need to seek God for these things. Amen. Yeah. So when you think, so when, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, 
And I think the phrase was that, that, um, that the devil used was if you are the son of God, you know, how, how often does the world or maybe even your own fleshly pride say, if you really were a Christian, you would do this. If, if you mm. really were a Christian, you were doing that. And so how many of those are actually taunts to get you to work in your power and in your wisdom and not in God's direction, even with Adam and Eve in Genesis three, you know, you know, I'm trying to think of the phrase, um, but he, but he, I can't get the phrase right, but, but, but did, did God really, I, I want to say, maybe that's the way, did God really, that, that I'm still not getting it right, but, but he was, it was a taunt where did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? You know, just that little, well, he don't want you to eat of that tree because of this or because of that. And it, it, it begins to get you to start taking it into your thinking and into your power. And like always, what's always been one of my favorite verses, and, and I see it so real, is in Galatians 3, 3, 3. But he comes there and he just says this, are you, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being per perfected by the flesh? And this idea that that the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and their eyes seen so, so clearly and their ears and their heart and their minds were so in tune, so in step with Jesus, with God, and they were one. And then all of a sudden, somewhere the devil had to tempt them. Somewhere he had to say, did God really tell you to do that? I mean, does he really want you to, to not do this and not do that? And at, at some point, you know, back to what you're saying, I, I, I just think that the word this morning for me that I'll take away is wait. You know, I mean, wait is not always a pack, passive action. It can be a active action in the spiritual realm that can move mountains, that it can be a game changer. And um, I'll, I'll, I'm trying to think, I was thinking about a story. I'll, I'll mention something, Mike, Mike, um, one time me and Mike was walking through life with uh, some people and there was a situation where, um, where some close friends of ours were having, you know, essentially some marriage problems. And, um, and Mike knew about it about three months before, um, before I found out about it, but I found about it in a very spiritual way. Like um, I just, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep at night about it. Um, it was, it was a real good friend of mine, but I, I just couldn't sleep at night about it. And I just kept seeking. I'm like, Lord, why am I so uneasy? Why am I so at re unrest? And, um, and anyway, um, the, the situation was revealed to my attention and I knew what it was. And I, I did some tough things that needed to be done. But when I talked to Mike, I said, Mike, if you, if you known about this for three, three months, why didn't you tell me ahead of time? Logically, I didn't understand that. And he said, Dennis, he said, we were asking God to reveal it. We were waiting on the Lord to do something. And, um, and in my flesh, I was, I was frustrated about, about, about that. But as we're talking about waiting this morning, I can't think of a better example to tell you, Mike did what he thought God was leading him to do. And he was willing to wait on the Lord. And 
and it and exactly what he prayed for. It took it took a while, but him and his wife were patient and enough to to stand in the gap in prayer and doing that. But they spiritually, I I was frustrated in my flesh because I felt like he was passive in a in a in a in a way, and he shouldn't have waited to tell me. He should have told me. But in a spiritual realm, he felt him and his wife felt led to bring it to prayer and to bring it to the Lord. And and in what we've said this morning, I can't think of a better example to kind of concrete that in to say that as Christians, we need to understand what spiritual active waiting is and that it really matters. So. I want one more quick comment about our outline for coming up. Um, I was uh, going, listening to an interpretation in, in Isaiah's, um, uh, in 53, and another place, in Isaiah presenting the Messiah to the Israelites, uh, he said, uh, the Messiah will not come until a time of, of great distress in, the, in his chosen, in his people. So it helps us to understand the, uh, all the fighting Jesus had to do to make himself known because after 400 years of not hearing from God, they had developed this hardened heart and there were a lot of enemies of God that Jesus had to deal with. And God knew it when he picked the time to send Jesus, but it would be a rough world to live in. Yeah. Um, so we'll pick up at 52 um, next week. And I believe that goes, I think it's, I think it's to 60. I'll, I'll double check that and I'll send it out, but, um, but we'll pick up there. We'll, we'll have two more weeks. Um, we'll, we'll look at, and then, like I said, if, if you think about it, look at um, Exodus 12, I think it's to verse 28 and just re re um, visit the language and the instructions of how they did the Passover. Um, and I think it'll, it'll kind of bring some context to what you're reading um, here. Um, it kind of gets you at least in the shoes of of this of this audience, or at least the shoes that they were supposed to be in. Um, so, anyway, Mike, you want to close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we just thank you for just a day we could come together. Um, you know, we're not physically together. You've given us the ability just to continue to meet. I thank you for that, especially with guys like Jeff, that's a little further away from us, Lord. And, I just um, thank you for Dennis and the time that he puts in preparing for for these uh, lessons, Lord. And I thank you for the um, just your spirit moving amongst us and revealing things to us and and teaching us, Lord. That just uh, solidifies the verse that we read today. That, um, that that we will be taught by you, Lord. Just thank you for that. And I thank you for just um, all the lives that are represented. I just pray for these guys, Lord, that you would help. Um, them and help me to to be the man that you want us to be, Lord. Um, I just pray that you would continue to do a mighty work in us and amongst us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 All right, guys. Glad to see y'all. Best day, bro. Need anything? Right. Yep. See you guys.